Okay, our, our text today is from the prophet Malachi. During Advent, we um, are looking at scripture passages from the prophets of the Old Testament. And the prophets speak to the state of God's people and what God is going to do about the state of God's people. Malachi prophesies after God's people have returned from exile in Babylon. They have returned back to Judah and Jerusalem, and they have rebuilt the temple. But the best way to describe the atmosphere and the environment in Judah and Jerusalem is that it is, at this point in time, questionable. The temple has been rebuilt, but the temple practices are not exactly in order. In fact, Malachi tells us early on that the priests are offering lame, blind, and diseased animals on the altar as sacrifices. That doesn't exactly sound unblemished to me. At the same time, Malachi says that the people want to know where is this God of love and this God of justice. We were taken away into exile for 70 years, and we cannot tell that our enemies have had any consequence, any punishment. So where is this God of justice? The atmosphere is questionable, so much so that in this small book in the Old Testament, it's the last book in our Old Testament canon. It only has 55 verses, but in 55 verses of Scripture, there are 22 questions. And Malachi acts as the go-between between God's people and God, or the arbitrator, So there's a question from God's people, and then in true rabbinical fashion, Malachi will respond to that question with another question. Um, And and so there is, Malachi acts as this go-between, this arbitrator, and this explanation is given to us of what God is doing in the midst of this very uncertain time. The question that is posed before the passage of scripture we have for this morning is the question, where is the God of justice? Where is the God of justice is what the people want to know. Okay, so this is Malachi chapter 3. It's verses 1 through 4. Would you stand and read it with me? Where is the God of justice? See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, indeed he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. So this afternoon, when I leave here, I will go with my family, with Keith and our three children, to take the annual Shelley Christmas card photo in Austin. We do this for Keith's dad. And you can see Keith's dad in this picture. He's in the red shirt seated with Daniel on his lap. Um, And Keith's brother and his family come also. So this picture reminds me of another announcement that you need to know because 
Sarah Carroll helped me put these pictures together for you on the screen to embarrass my family with. And what you need to know about Sarah Carroll is she's worked at our church for 23 years, and she also retires at the end of December. So if you know Sarah Carroll, uh, please thank her for serving here. Send her an email or send her an email and tell her thank you. She has been a big help to me. Um, Yeah, so here's this picture that we took last year of our family. We take it every year in Austin. We have a designated place to stand. I always stand behind Keith. The girls always stand on either side of me. Daniel sits on Keith's lap. I don't know how much longer that's going to last. But we have a designated place where we stand, and it's kind of fun if you look at the pictures over the years because you can see how we've changed, how the kids have grown, how the adults have changed. We always wear the same thing or similar attire. We wear boots and jeans. And um, so that's okay for most of us. This picture was taken in a barn, and that's all right uh, for, for most all of us because uh, most of us were either raised in a barn or, or we're, we're okay with dirt. Uh, it's okay for all of us but one of us. There's one of us that's pretty uncomfortable here, and I bet you can see that when you look at this picture. It's the very dignified-looking lady in the red sweater vest. That's Joanna. She's my father-in-law's wife. And Joanna, this is what you need to know about Joanna. You can see it in the picture. Joanna is refined. Joanna comes to my house for the holidays, and she can name any china pattern, any silver pattern, any crystal pattern that appears on my table. She loves antiques and fine linens and monogram stationery. Joanna is refined. Today's Joanna's birthday. So after we take our family picture in our boots and jeans, we're going to a place where Joanna is comfortable for dinner. Guess what we can't wear to the place where we're going for dinner for Joanna? We can't wear our boots and jeans. We have to change. We have to clean up our act. Now, we usually think of the word refined as describing our outward appearance or the way that we act. But that's not true spiritually speaking. Spiritually speaking, refinement is an inward process. Now this inward process may very well be reflected on the outside and in our actions, but it takes place inside of us. And refinement creates in us the ability to be purely ourselves. The ability to be the person that God designed us to be. When Malachi says, the Lord will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, Malachi is not saying, I'm going to get these priests, these sons of Levi, all new robes and have them shave their beards. It's not about the outward appearance. But what the Lord is saying is, I'm going to transform them. I'm going to transform you so that you have a new and a different motivation. You're no longer motivated by fear or scarcity, but instead you will be motivated by righteousness. We talked about the word righteousness last week, which means to set things right, to set things straight. And you will be motivated by abundance, a sense of God's goodness. Now in the very next passage in the Old Testament uh, book of Malachi, There are words about bringing in the tithe. 
And if you have ever heard a scripture passage from this Old Testament book, this is the passage. I'm going to read it to you. This is what it says. You're going to go, oh, yeah, I remember that. The last time we had a stewardship campaign, we had that passage. Okay, here it is. Bring in the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I do not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Now, I don't believe that what is going on here is cause and effect. I don't think that what Malachi is describing is that when we give to the Lord, then the Lord gives to us. Or when we don't give to the Lord, then the Lord doesn't bless us. But instead, what I believe is going on here is that the Lord is instructing a change in perspective for his people. Because there is a difference, a definite difference between throwing up a lame, diseased animal onto the altar and bringing in a tithe, a portion of what I find valuable, the first portion of what I find to be valuable. One I do in fear, fear of retribution or fear of not having enough, and the other I do in a trusting, symbiotic relationship. That God and I work in this world together, and I trust God's goodness. So I trust that there is enough, and I will be well cared for. The people cry out, show me, show us the God of love. And the response is this, you're looking in all the wrong places. So I'm going to change your perspective, the Lord says, so that you see the God of love. And the God of justice more clearly. This change in perspective will be like a refining process that takes place in a silversmith's shop. The refinement that takes place for a precious metal removes what is impure. It takes out what is junk. It takes out the impurities and it makes the substance stronger. And this is done with extreme heat, with fire. John Calvin, who was a 16th century church reformer, wrote this about the scripture passages that mention refinement and the process that takes place within us. John Calvin wrote, The power of fire burns and it purifies. It burns what is corrupt, but it purifies gold and silver from their dross. So what is the dross? What's being removed I think it's pretty easy for each of us to list the things that get in our way of being the people that God has created us to be every day. Anger, greed, control, lying, judgment, lust, striving, mistrust. We could make a list. I could make a list. You could make a list. We could make that list on a whiteboard. There would be several different words there, but here's what I want you to know about that list. I believe that almost anything we could propose that could be removed from our days, from our lives as dross, the impurities, the garbage, the junk, I believe those things all have fear at their foundation. They all have fear at their foundation, fear of not being enough, fear of not having enough. So what is being removed from me in this process of refinement are the things that tell me that I need to work towards securing the kingdom of Dinah, which always stands over and against the kingdom of God. 
When those things are removed, what's left is pure. What's left is usable. What's left is workable in the kingdom of God. When a silversmith purifies silver, the metal is treated with carbon or charcoal, and that prevents oxygen from being absorbed. And by preventing oxygen from being absorbed, then the metal becomes shiny. So a way that a silversmith knows that the metal has been refined, that the silver has been refined, is they can take that piece of metal up to their face. And when they see their reflection in the silver, then they know that the process is finished. That same thing is true for us as spiritual beings. When our refinement is complete, when our refinement is even at work, then in our lives and our faces, other people can see the reflection of Christ. Now, there is a subtlety in this Hebrew text that I want you uh, to hear in English. Because when I read this text in English, what doesn't make sense to me about the refinement process is why it mentions fuller's soap or launderer's soap. Why does that pop up? In this passage, what do we care about soap when we're refining a metal? Well, in Hebrew, the word for soap and the word for covenant are so similar that they have only one letter that's different. And that letter that's different is a vowel. So in the written Hebrew, you wouldn't even see it. You wouldn't see that there is a difference. So what I hear in this text when I know that there's this Hebrew joke in the text about soap and the covenant is I hear there is a refining for the people. There is a refinement for me that's provided by the covenant. There is a scrubbing of the covenant that can take place and makes me a better follower of the Lord's ways. God's love for you and your efforts to show up in the covenant, to live by the covenant, has the ability to refine us, to make us pure. Well, I have wondered, as I've thought about this text this week, why I have a sense of dread about being refined. What is that about? And I have two answers for you. The first very plainly, is that I don't much like change. Maybe some of you do. There are a few thrill seekers among us, I'm sure. But I don't like change. I can remember when I was 16 years old and my father came home from an Emmaus retreat and he told us about the retreat. I have a clear understanding now of what God's love is about. And I thought as he was talking, well, that's a good thing. But the very next sentence was, Things are going to change around here. And I thought, oh, why do they have to change? They're pretty good. (laughs) Why do we have to change? In my own home, we sometimes laugh about the afternoon that Keith and I told the girls that we were going to have another baby in the house (laughs) because their reaction wasn't really what we expected. (laughs) They were eight and five at the time. And the eight-year-old was excited about having a new baby in the house, but the five-year-old cried, and she said, I had a dream about this, and it was like a nightmare. (laughs) 
change. Oh, we just don't like it. But even if you do like change, even if you are a thrill seeker, the second thing I think would give you pause about refinement as well. And the second reason that I find discomfort with this passage is that, well, it involves fire. (laughs) It involves heat. And a refiner's fire is not so comfy for the metal that's involved, for the silver or for the gold. The very substance is being transformed, it's being changed, it's being melted down. And that doesn't sound so fun to me. This is not a change that's issued by a magician. Poof, you're better, you're purer. But this is instead a change that comes about because of fire, intense heat, or intense scrubbing. It's not in our nature to look forward to unpleasant or painful experiences. Yet what I know to be true is that the Lord's presence is most evident in painful and uncomfortable places. And our transformation comes the fastest when pain or discomfort is involved. I believe that this text tells us to see pain and suffering as God's messengers. Now, this is a different way of viewing pain and suffering. The way that I usually view pain and suffering is kind of head down, teeth gritted. I'm just going to get through it. Just get me through this painful day. Get me through this painful time. But what I could instead say to pain and suffering is, what do you have for me? What's the message here? If this text is true... Pain and suffering are God's messengers, and I do wonder how many messages I've missed. (laughs) Now, there is a word of caution that I have for you, and that word of caution is we can't do this for each other. So it's never a good idea to tell another person that pain is God's message for them. There's no signing for the gift that that has not been intended for your doorstep. You can't sign for that gift for your neighbor. You can't tell them that God's doing something good for them in the pain. We just each have to work out our own transformation. Ryan Jacobson reminded me this week that any time in Scripture that we see the word fire or we hear the word fire, we should think of the presence of the Lord. So instead of hear the word fire in Scripture and run for the exits, We hear the word fire in scripture and we think the presence of the Lord is near. Now this sounds familiar to you, I know. You will remember that Moses encounters a bush that burns but is not consumed. That the Israelites are led to the promised land by a cloud that is illumined at night by fire. That John the Baptist says that I'm going to baptize you with water, but one is coming after me. Jesus is coming after me, and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then when the Holy Spirit comes to the community that's gathered in Acts, fire appears to rest on each one of them as they are filled with the Spirit. In the Old Testament book of Daniel, there is this story that appears to be brought to us by King Nebuchadnezzar. And I think that's important to us today since we're looking at a book that was written after the exile. So King Nebuchadnezzar carries the Judeans off in exile to Babylon. And this story in Daniel is brought to us by that same king. 
He's the Babylonian king that brought us the exile. So there are these three Jewish boys. Remember their names? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they won't bow down and worship the image of gold that the king has melted and created. The king is furious that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego won't bow down. He tells the boys, if you don't bow down and worship this image of gold, I'm going to throw you into that fire. Yeah, into that furnace. Exactly. This was a very scary story to me when I was told this story as a kid. I thought, the king's going to throw those three boys into fire? They must have been so afraid. Not only does the king say, I'm going to throw you into that furnace, when they again refuse to bow down, he says, I'm going to make that furnace hotter, and I'm going to turn it up seven times. Do you know about the number seven? What the number seven signifies in Scripture? The number seven signifies the Lord's presence. So here's what I know now that I didn't know as a kid. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are being threatened with thr- being thrown into a furnace, and they... They are God's people. They've already known the refiner's fire, right? So they must look at that furnace and say, fire times seven, we got this. Bring us your fire. Whatever it is that the world throws on you, whatever it is that the world can throw on me, I am reassured that God is present. And I've got it. Will you pray with me? Eternal God, we bless you and we praise you this day. That when we see pain, when we see discomfort, when we see suffering, when we see chaos, you just see material for creation. And so we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move in and among us, that we might recognize Uh, your creative powers. We remember and are thankful that you sent your son to be our Lord and Savior and remember that on the night before he gave himself up for us, our Lord and Savior took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. When the supper was over, he took the cup gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood, a new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come upon us as we are gathered here and that you would come upon this bread and this cup. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. Make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in his final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ who taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Would those who are helping serve communion come forward at this time? We will take communion by intinction, which means you're given a piece of bread, and then you take the bread and dip it into the cup before placing it in your mouth. 
and um, the communion servers will stand right here at the center with the bread and the cup, and so I would ask that you would just come down the middle aisle. We'll serve these two sections first, return by the side aisles, and then the communion servers are going to move to the sides and serve um, the side sections also. The table is set. Our hearts are prepared. Won't you come and celebrate this holy sacrament with us? body of Christ given for you.
bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.